appetite we want to be in the book of Ecclesiastes is, Lord, we do ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. And uh, again, I thank you for this time of worship and uh, just being here tonight with the believers. And uh, we desire to be touched by your word right now and edified and instructed and encouraged in every way that you have for us. So, Lord, again, help us to remember to turn our ringers off our phones and um, help us be attentive and uh, to take in uh, the word of God to encourage us and bless us here tonight in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we go into Ecclesiastes, I want to remind you, going through the Old Testament, how the Old Testament is divided up. And the Old Testament is divided up in that the first five books are the books of Moses. And then you get into the historical books from Joshua all the way to the book of Esther. It tells us of the history of, of the ch children of Israel from the time uh, that they would come into the promised land, the days of the judges, during the days of the kings, and then after the captivity, uh, you have those books that tell us as they would return from the captivity and the events that took place. And then from the book of Job all the way through the next book that we will study after Ecclesiastes, which is the Song of Solomon, that section of the Old Testament is called the Poetic Books, and that would include the book of Psalms, and the book of Proverbs that we finished just two weeks ago. It took us two years to get through uh, the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms and 31 chapters of Proverbs. But what I pray is that you were tremendously blessed going through that study because they are so rich. And not only as we look at the Psalms, that deals a lot with worshiping the Lord and trusting the Lord in those Psalms that edify us and build us up. And, and even in the times of difficulties, that the psalmist would express is so much of a blessing to see them articulate the, the, the hurting hearts and the sadness and in those times how they trusted the Lord and worshiped him and rejoiced in him and, and looked to his promises. And then Proverbs, that book of wisdom. Well, tonight we'll be in Ecclesiastes and then when we finish Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and then the last section of the Old Testament is the, the prophetic books the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, and then the minor prophets, and that ends the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. So that's where we're headed this summer. We'll start that section of the prophetic books in Isaiah, which is such an incredible study, but uh, Ecclesiastes is a real important study as well as we start that tonight. We do read in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem... Now, some people think that Ecclesiastes is not a very encouraging book. It's just a book that is a bummer. Uh, as we see that uh, Solomon here, most scholars believe that he is the author, the human instrument that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God. But I think that this book is so important because it's going to teach us many, many lessons. One of the main lessons that we can take home with us is that as he says it's vanity, it's all vanity, that's one of the key words that we see in this book, it means emptiness, it means unfulfillment, it, it um, has uh, that meaning in it, uh, that there's no purpose, that's what vanity means, that we see that this man Solomon who lived his life in great prosperity and great power, he had everything, as we're even going to see, he's going to write that tonight, 
that he says it's all vanity. And a life apart from Jesus Christ and the closeness with him and knowing him is going to bring us to that place of unfulfillment and, and not being satisfied and empty in our hearts because the Lord has created us for his good pleasures. We were created to be his workmanship for good works. In other words, we are created for him to worship him and to know him and there is something innately in every person to know him and to have relationship and closeness with him and anything apart from that may bring us temporary satisfaction and fulfillment but eventually it begins to wane away and it begins to leave us empty in our hearts because we were born and we are to live to have closeness with the Lord. So that's one of the main applications that all of us, every time that we go through these chapters, that we can take home with us. And as I mentioned here, even the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Solomon being the author, there are some scholars, a few of them that say, well, Solomon didn't really write the book of Ecclesiastes because it's not Solomon-like. In other words, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. He was one that showed great wisdom in the book of Proverbs, writing that to us. And then we will, in the next book, the Song of Solomon is going to be uh, written. And that's, of course, a, a, a story uh, that Solomon, or it portrays the love of the king Solomon to the Shulamite. And you have the chorus of Jeru Jerusalem, and it's a love story. And, and it's just, you know, that kind of tone that we will go through. So here at Ecclesiastes, we're going to see right off the bat when we get into the next verse that it's very heavy. It's kind of a bummer. Uh, this guy is burnt out. Uh, he's down on life. But yet we know that it is Solomon because he is the one described here, the only one that uh, had everything and great riches and, and great power and prosperity. As we go through that, we will see that very clearly. So there are those who say it isn't really Solomon-like. It isn't upbeat. But here's the thing. There's a purpose for this that Solomon is writing. We know that Solomon, he was one in his life that had great wisdom, didn't he? And he was one that wrote the book of Proverbs, but he didn't always live in that wisdom. Uh, he didn't always apply it in his life. And to remind you, just as we talked about going through the book of Proverbs, that godly wisdom, there is a difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom is not just knowing the scriptures, but it is having the scriptures be worked out in your life. Just because you go to church and take in Bible study does not mean that you are walking in godly wisdom. It does not mean that you are walking in obedience. And I think that Christians sometimes suddenly will make the, the mistake of, well, I went to Bible study. I grew up as a Christian in a Christian home. I went to church all of my life, and, and that, that's pleasing to the Lord. The question is, are you taking those things that you have learned and have you got it in your heart, not just in your head, and having it worked out in your life? And as you have it worked out in your life, then you are walking in godly wisdom. And Solomon, who had great wisdom and knowledge, that we know of, that he was one that in his life would abandon that wisdom, 
We know that it is in the book of Deuteronomy that the king was not to multiply horses and gold and wives. And what does Solomon do? He multiplied all those to where he had 40,000 stalls for horses that were in the land according to 1 Kings chapter 4. He had 1,000 wives and concubines, and he had so much gold and silver. Silver was like rocks in Jerusalem. So he had it all, but yet he would bend the knee to those false gods and he would burn incense to them because of the wives that he took on that were foreign wives that led him to worship those uh, false gods. And God warned against that. So Solomon here, he, he's, he's down on life. He's looking at it. He says it's all vanity. And any of us, whenever we're down on life, and we can go through seasons like that, or we get discouraged, or we feel helpless or hopeless, we can write an email or a note, and we send it off, and we think, oh, you know, uh, a couple days later, you might think, oh, why did I do that? I shouldn't have sent that. Or somebody might get a hold of you and say, that really isn't you. Why did you write that? You, you seem so hopeless and helpless in the situation or this season of life that you are in. And that's what Solomon is expressing. I believe that this is definitely Solomon because in verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. There was only one king in Jerusalem over Israel beside David. And here we're told in verse 1, this is the son of David. And Solomon, he was the only one that ruled as he came on the scene after David. And he ruled during that time of its greatest prosperity and peace and wealth and power, the nation, because after Solomon died, 40 years of being on the throne, we know that his son Rehoboam came to the throne. And shortly, just a very short time after Rehoboam came to be the king of Israel, that we know that the nation split in half. The 10 northern tribes called the House of Israel and then the House of Judah down south. So Solomon's the only one that could possibly be the one that would write the book of Ecclesiastes again as we know, inspired by the Spirit of God. He is the son of David. And you know the story of Solomon, that Solomon, that uh, he's the one that would build the temple. Now, as you read First Chronicles, we know that David, he desired to build the temple in Jerusalem. And it was Nathan the prophet that came to him and said, listen, you're not going to build the temple. You're a man of war. And your son, who's going to be a man of peace, is going to build the temple. David was a warrior. David was the one that would uh, defeat the enemies all around Israel, Syria, and the Ammonites, and the Edomites, and the Moabites, and the Philistines. And he would make uh, peace with Hiram up north uh, of Tyre and Sidon. And David was one that, because he was a great warrior, that he defeated his enemies. And at that time, the nation became very powerful. And even though he was told, you're not going to build the temple, Really, David prepared everything for the temple to be built. We know that he, would, he defeated the enemies. He would uh, take the spoils. He would bring back gold and silver to be used for building the temple. He made a, a treaty with Hiram up in Lebanon. Uh, today it's Lebanon, Tyre, and Sidon. That those uh, Lebanon, uh, the big uh, cedar trees that were up there growing, that they cut them down and, and they floated them down the coast of the Mediterranean to Joppa, and then from Joppa they would bring them up to Jerusalem. Uh, he made that treaty with Hiram to be able to, to bring in craftsmen that were great in, in uh, fine work of metal and wood and all of that. 
So David, making the plans directed by the Spirit of God for the temple, tells us in First Chronicles, getting the supplies all ready, and then he would, again, according to how the Lord would direct him, he would reorganize the priests and the Levites. Uh, he would, you know, get the musicians, the gatekeepers, uh, all the soldiers, the administrators, all in line, so that when he passed away, everything was ready to go for his son Solomon. Because David knew, he said, Lord, my son is going to be young. He's going to be tender-hearted. This is going to be so overwhelming for him. And so really, Solomon's temple was really David's temple in a way. But when Solomon came on the scene, everything was ready to go. And you know that it was the Lord that came to Solomon and said, Solomon, what is it that you want? And Solomon would say, I'm young. Uh, I don't know my coming in and my going out. I have this great responsibility in being the king over Israel. I need wisdom. And because the Lord would hear that answer of his, I need wisdom, your wisdom, the Lord was pleased. And he said, Solomon, not only am I going to give you wisdom and knowledge, but I am going to bless you tremendously. So Solomon reigned during the time of the greatest power, as I said, and, and um, the greatest wealth that Israel ever experienced. And here is Solomon here, that uh, just an incredible man, more wealthy than any man that ever lived, more wealthy than Bill Gates. He wore golden sandals. He had everything that he wanted. All of a sudden, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, they say that we can learn from history. And we can learn from people's mistakes. But here's the thing to keep in mind. It doesn't have to be your own mistakes. And these things are written, as Paul would say to the Corinthian church, for our admonition, for, so that we can learn. And that's why Ecclesiastes is so, so important. Because the world comes along and says, do you want to have satisfaction? Do you want to have fulfillment? It's going to be found in worldly things. And I want to tell you right off the... the the bat here as we go into this book that the Lord is telling us that it, you will be empty, you will be left empty if you do those things and you're involved in those things and that you're looking for those things apart from Jesus Christ. You will end up empty and you will be saying the same thing that is grasping for the wind. Nothing new under the sun. These are all phrases that Solomon's going to use that is vanity. So in verse 2, vanities of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So he starts out with, it's all emptiness, useless is another meaning. Remember the one who had everything, and he will write about that in, in the chapters ahead. Uh, he had uh, anything that anyone would want in the world, and he says it's all vanity. And of course, speaking about those things apart from the Lord. But we read in verse 3, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? So Solomon speaks about life and work under the sun. What profit has a man from all his labor under the sun? Uh, what good is it to just labor uh, in the way that he did? What profits, that phraseology is going to be used ten times in this book. The word labor, and here, as it's used also, 23 times in these 12 chapters that it means to labor to exhaustion 
it wasn't that Solomon just, you know, was laying on a couch and people were feeding him grapes, you know, and a big feather, you know, waving so he's comfortable. He worked. He labored. He was a great builder. He built many things. He had all kinds of projects that were going on. So uh, he would rule over an incredible kingdom. And even the queen of Sheba would come along and say, Solomon, I am so impressed. Half of what was, was only half was told to me, you know, of your incredible kingdom. But your servants that served before you and the feast that he would have and all the projects and splendor of, of the kingdom, the temple that was built was magnificent. It was overlaid with gold, Solomon's temple. So he labored, and he's talking about that all this, what is a prophet? And then under the sun, used 29 times in the book. Under the sun, what does it mean? It means that it's just a daily grind. That's the way I look at it. Under the sun, day after day, and he's going to talk about that in a little bit. As the days pass, working under the sun, what purpose is it? it? There's just emptiness. And you see, here's the thing. Here he is, he's laboring. Keep this in mind as we go through these 12 chapters that he's speaking, that he's doing all these things apart from the Lord. But you and I as Christians, as we labor, you see, it's not just laboring under the sun. And we do get tired, don't we? As we have jobs and we work and, and all of this, we can get tired in laboring under the sun. And what purpose? I think that a lot of us have felt that way. But you see, the key for you and for me is in life we're to labor for the Son, the Son, Jesus Christ. And you see in Colossians chapter 3, as Paul was talking about the workplace, bond servants, employees, obeying all things in sincerity heart, he would say. And whatever you do, you do it heartily as unto the Lord. We know that he would say, don't do it as, as men pleasers, I service to men, but knowing that from the Lord, you're going to receive a reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord. In other words, that you who work for somebody, an employee, you go to work, you work hard, and I know that you guys do work hard. You go to work every day, getting up and, and making a living and having to, to do that, and it's not always easy but here is Paul the Apostle who writes to us, and he writes something very similar when he's writing the book of Ephesians, that whatever you do, you do it heartily as unto the Lord. That you do it for him, knowing that it pleases the Lord. And you're going to be greatly rewarded. I think that Christians should be the best workers that there are. I really hope that you are one that says, I'm going to be a good worker, and I'm going to work hard for whoever that I am working for, wherever you have placed me, because it pleases you, Lord. And I'm going to do it heartily as unto the Lord. And then he also addresses masters or those of you that are supervisors or maybe have your own business. That he, Again, that Paul would address that you are to do what is right and how you treat your employees and uh, how you do business. And the Bible talks a whole lot about that because that's pleasing to the Lord as well. So do that hardly as unto the Lord as we labor, saying, I am working for the Lord. And you might be here and you got a tough boss or you got a tough and stressful job. Do it as unto the Lord and know that the Lord is going to honor that and there's going to be reward for you. But also for you who are serving the Lord, 
whether you're serving here within Calvary Chapel, and, and there are times where we labor for the Lord. I know for me that I think, Lord, is this, you know, um, is this blessing you? Are we getting anywhere? Is anybody listening? Is any fruit coming from it? And maybe you teach the children or work in the nursery and you're thinking, is anybody ever thankful for that? Maybe you're serving the Lord in, in another area. Maybe you're discipling people. Maybe you're serving the Lord in that, that you are mom, that you are raising those little rascals, you know, at home and you're raising them in the ways of the Lord. Or maybe you're here and you have elderly parents that you are taking care of. Whatever that you are doing presently and whatever you're doing because you know that God has you doing it, that you keep doing it. And there are times where we feel like, Lord, you know, I, I don't know if I'm doing any good. And one of the verses that I constantly is, is giving to my staff when we have staff meetings, uh, we try to have a uh, time of prayer and devotion. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I need to remember that verse constantly, that whatever you are doing for the Lord, it is not in vain. And others may not notice it. The world isn't going to, you know, notice it or applaud you uh, as you serve the Lord, but the Lord does. He knows everything that you do. And whatever it is that you're doing, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. You know what that means? He has something for you to do that nobody else can do. And he desires to gift you. He desires to enable you. He desires to work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I like that verse in the book of Philippians chapter 2. It is God that is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And as you are doing that, it is not in vain. If you're here tonight and you're thinking, why should I just serve the Lord? Why, why should I continue? Because the Lord desires for you to be immovable, steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. There is true fulfillment when we have that mindset of, Lord, I am doing it for you. And you see, that needs to be the main motivation as we serve the Lord, is, Lord, because I love you. One of my favorite chapters in all of the scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because in that, we have some motivation for us as we're walking with the Lord and living in this life. You're going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. Be rewarded for what you have done for Christ in this life. We've talked about that quite extensively in our Sunday morning study as we've gone through Luke chapter 16. But also that he says that it's the love of Christ that constrains us or motivates us. And we serve the Lord because I love you, Lord. And you desire for me to, to do your good pleasures. And I was created for that. And I want to bring about the kingdom of God to others and the witness of Jesus Christ to others. And that's what should motivate us. And as you do that in the love of Christ, that you're going to be immovable and steadfast because you're doing it for him and your love for him and our response of his love for us. So here Solomon's saying, what I've done, the, what profit is it labor to toil under the sun? Verse 4, one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. What he's saying here, it just seems like time continues on. He's going to talk about the sun coming up and everything continues on. Uh, life is short, and we know the scripture tells us 
that life is short. We know that James writes in his epistle, life is but a vapor, just that vapor that's there for a moment, and then it's gone when you compare it to eternity. And, and even in the history of mankind, a generation is there for a short time, and life is short. And David writes about that uh, in his uh, writings in, in Psalms, but it's but a vapor is life. So it's very, very short. And he says generation passes to generation, and it seems like days just pass, and the sun keeps coming up. The earth abides forever. Verse 5, the sun also rises. The sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it, it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. And all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come. And there they turn, uh, return again. And all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So here he says the sun just comes up every day, and it sets every day. It goes to its place. And he says some things that are pretty actually remarkable for somebody who's writing 3,000 years ago. He says that the wind currents continue on. The winds blow from uh, the north and, and, and from the south, and the uh, wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. Circuit where we get that word circle. He acknowledges that the world is round 3,000 years ago, he does. And you might recall that as we went through the book of Job, that's another 1,000 years older, that Job talks about how the earth hangs you know, in the heavens. There is an atlas that's holding it on its shoulders or a big elephant like some of the ancient myths. And he talks about the earth being round and he talks about the ocean currents as well. Here Solomon is writing about the wind currents and we know that there's wind currents on the circle of the earth, uh, the wind patterns that we see here. We usually get the westerlies but sometimes the wind comes from the south and when it does it's usually it's very hot, hot because it's coming from the you know desert or from the north it means that it's going to get cold or from the east there's upslope and there may be a storm that develops so wind currents are very important to weather patterns and Solomon recognizes that the wind just continues day after day the patterns the the hydraulic system of the world too the rivers flow they go into the ocean the ocean never fills up and then the water returns to its place again, and that's the hydraulic system of the world, that there's this, this system and cycle that is in place, and he says it's meaningless. And he goes on, and he says that it's not satisfying. And then in verse 8, he's talking about that eye does not satisfy, is dull to the ears. You know, I, I love the outdoors, and I love as we're coming into May here, you know, into late spring, and, and I know that we may get some snow this weekend, they're talking, and it gets a little wet, but things are starting to green up, and summer is just, uh, you know, right around the corner, and, and those days are getting longer now, and I love to be able to sit out, and particularly in late spring, and in the summertime, and in the fall, out in the back, and if I have my Bible, and I have my cup of coffee, and I'm in the back and I can hear the birds and just look at the sky that I am in heaven. I love doing that. And I love being able to go in the outdoors. I've always loved it. I love going up to the mountains. I love tromping around. I, I love 
being, you know, in the open areas and out west here and, and up in the mountains as much as I can when God allows me. And when I'm sitting there and I'm just amazed at God's creation, and this is a fallen world, but the beauty of it and to enjoy it, I, I, I'm not amazed because I'm thinking, wow, evolution is so wonderful. That's not my thought at all. But God, you're the creator. And your creation is so incredible. And I love just being able to hear the sounds of, of you know, the wind, and, uh, except when it's blowing 80 miles an hour. But, <laughs> you know, the breeze, the clouds, the look at it, you know, big sky country. To see the storms even come. I don't know about you, but I love to watch lightning storms. And um, even last week, and I think it was on Thursday night, that um, there was lightning out east. And, and then we got that storm that came by. Maybe it was earlier this week when we, we had that. Um, and I love seeing that. And I love just looking at those things. But here Solomon is saying all of that. You know, it's just vanity. And his senses are dulls. But I also want to give another application in this as he talks about eyes not satisfying. You know, hearing is dull. There's a lot of things that get placed before our eyes. And there's a lot of things that, that Madison Avenue or, or, you know, the things that are around us, there's all kinds of things that are put before our eyes. We have news and we have social media and the stuff that we can pull up on the internet, it just is overwhelming. And you see, the world is going to try to get you to look at that stuff and to hear that stuff all the time. The voices of the world are out there everywhere. They're out there, and we get bombarded with it. The talk news and, and you know, all the information, it's information overload. And over time, and it can help us. I understand that. And I'm thankful for the information that's out there. I have four different weather apps on my phone that I can look at. So I can look at the weather at different, you know, phone apps, you know, or different apps all the time because I just do that. But it is information overload. And here's the thing. The world's going to get you to look at that stuff all the time, to hear that stuff and the voices of the world and the things of the world. And Satan loves to take it and he loves to use it for his purposes. And so we get caught up in pulling up things and people get caught up in pornography. They get caught up in pulling up, you know, images that they shouldn't and hearing things that they shouldn't. We need to be careful. And what our flesh says is you need to look at it more. You need to hear this more because it's satisfying. And so many people listen. This is just an opinion. And I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental in any way. It is an honest evaluation, and I think that most of us would agree with this, but a lot of people are really, they're just addicted to their phones. And they're addicted to social media. And I think that we need to be careful in those areas. I'm not saying get rid of those things, but for an honest evaluation, what is it that you are seeing, and what is it that you're hearing? In Madison Avenue, they know that. They will spend hundreds of hours uh, trying to create that image so you'll look at it and, and you will want it, that you will want to, you know, when you see the Big Mac, it's a perfect Big Mac, isn't it? 
I mean, you look at it and it's like, yeah, I want that thing because they work hard in presenting it to you or that car or whatever it may be. And I understand that is part of advertising. But what I want to do is I want to use those things for the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we talked about, even when I was talking to, you know, the guys about this, that, you know, there are more phones in the world than there are toothbrushes. Do you know that? More people have phones in the world than they do toothbrushes. To be able to use that for God's glory. But we need to be careful because what will happen is our flesh says, I want to see that image. I want that we listen to Dr. Phil, we listen to Oprah, we listen to all the voices of the world. What is the latest thing? What's the latest trend? What's the latest philosophy? What is all this? And we end up empty. And the thing that's going to satisfy your soul and your spirit is the things of the Lord. And Lord, help me to hear you. I want to to hear the word of God. I want to hear your still small voice speaking to me, to be able to come and, and to hear people worshiping. Like when we gather on Wednesday nights, I love it when we're just worshiping. To listen to praise songs on, you know, uh, in your car or listen to Grace FM on the radio. Just keep taking in the things of the Lord, hearing and as you are seeing as you're seeing the things of God being done, as you're seeing God work, as you are taking in whatever it is of the things of God, then you're going to see real satisfaction and fulfillment in your life. But the things of the world are going to leave you empty. And that's what Solomon's saying, you know, all the things you hear and see, it's, it just leaves you empty. And let's continue verse 9. That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us, so life continues on. Nothing's really new. Now, he's not talking about technology. Uh, of course, technology things are new, and they can be a blessing, but he's talking about life's experiences. And what really is new for you and for me, listen, because, you know, there really is nothing new under the sun. The latest trends in, in philosophy and stuff usually has its roots in something way back. Even false doctrine that comes blowing through the church, that they'll say this is a new wave of the Spirit, or a new, you know, um, apostolic reformation movement and all this. You can look at that, and it has its roots all in false doctrine that's been taught before. But here, as Solomon is saying, nothing is new. There is one thing, one thing that we know, that is new. And that is when we come to Jesus Christ. Because Paul writes that when we come to him, that behold, all things have passed away, behold, all things become new, and that you're a new creation in Christ. That is the one thing that is truly new. And if you're here tonight, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, he is calling you to himself to say that I want to make all things new, to give you a new beginning, to make you a, a new creation, to give you a new heart. Because that's what Jesus Christ does. He brings forgiveness, right relationship that comes to the Father through Jesus Christ, 
the hope of heaven, and there's regeneration. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. There's power in the gospel, and you will become new. And you know that to be true, those of us who are here that are Christians. That as we came to Christ, we got a new heart and a new outlook on life, and we're a new creation in Christ because he's the one that brings that deadness that is in our hearts and in our spirits and in our souls to life. And the Bible even says in Ephesians chapter 2 that before we come to Christ, we were spiritually dead. That we're very much alive physically, of course we are. But spiritually, you're dead because of sin and trespasses. But because of his great love, he's brought life to us. And as we surrender our lives to him, we are born again, John chapter 3, by the Spirit of God. And as we're born again, we're that new creature in Christ. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then to live a life after him is that life that where there's going to be true purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction. It doesn't mean that you won't have any problems. It doesn't mean that you won't have any difficulties but you're going to have a new outlook on life and you have the promises of the Lord that he'll never leave you or forsake you and that he'll work all things out for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. The Lord is the one that makes all things new, makes our hearts new and our lives new. In verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. How easily we forget is what he's saying, that He's not saying that we ultimately forget, you know, uh, our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents or uh, those of the past. We're remembering Solomon here tonight and David. And, but here's the thing. He's saying that generation after generation, we forget about them. It's kind of like that today you hear a lot about almost every day in the news, President Trump. You don't hear about the past presidents, uh, President Obama or Bush or, you know, Clinton or nixon or kennedy yeah they come up at times but now the focus is on the present you know administration and our leaders and, and that's really what's being said that's all kind of in the past and and we do forget very easily i think that if i was to ask you can any of you name who the nba champions were five years ago now if you know don't say it okay you might be a sports buff or something or who was the World Series champions five years ago? I couldn't name it. Now, we know last year it was the Cubs, right? Miracle, the Cubs. And we know two years ago that the Broncos won the Super Bowl. But other than that, we can go back three or four years, five years, less than 10 years. We don't remember who won those championships. We don't remember a lot of the things that took place. We tend to forget. And that's what Solomon's saying. That you go from generation to generation. There's no remembrance of former things. And then when the things do come, you know, uh, that are going to come, then they will be forgotten over time. In verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This uh, burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. So uh, Solomon here, he, he's seeking wisdom, uh, the wisest man on the earth. He's not seeking godly wisdom here. It's more of philosophy. And he says this philosophy, this wisdom is burdensome 
task that God has given to man. And the reason is, is because it changes all the time. Men throughout all history has come up with philosophy and wisdom, and, and we hear about it in the Proverbs of ancient Proverbs and Egyptian wisdom and Greek wisdom and Chinese wisdom and fortune cookies, you know, and, and the little things in there, fortune uh, that are told to us. All these wisdoms, and it changes, and it's burdensome that, that has been given to man by God but here's the thing to remember that Paul comes along and in Colossians chapter 2, he tells you and I that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of, treasure, treasures of wisdom and knowledge and beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. He says you are going to be cheated if you build your life and are given to man's philosophy and traditions of men and that which is empty vanity that comes from man and that's basic principles of the world and not according to christ and we know that god's word is never changing it is sure and philosophy is changing all the time so solomon here he he continues he says, I have seen all the works that are done in verse 14 under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. And what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. He's still talking about wisdom. People are looking for so many things. Again, they listen to TV talk shows by the scores that are on all the cable TV networks and all of this, listening to radio talk you know, shows and all the talking heads and everything that's out there so that they might be straightened out in their lives. And it is the Lord that will truly do that because without the Lord, you will be lacking. And you'll be given over to every wind a doctrine of man that comes blowing through when we have the surety of the word of God, even as we know the scriptures declared, David said that the word of God is sure, it's perfect, it is true. Don't be cheated, but look to the Lord and look to the word of God. In verse 16, I commune with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and has set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So here, wisdom and much learning isn't what he thought it would be. And Solomon was a very brilliant man. When you read 1 Kings chapter 4, he wrote 3,000 Proverbs. A quarter of those Proverbs are in the book of Proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. He studied dendrology. Dendrology is the study of trees. He was a biologist. He studied zoology, entomology, which is insects, ethology, uh, uh, which is the study of fish. Um, I think Solomon would have been a great fly fisherman um, because you got to know the hatches, you got to know the insects, and then the fish and fish ecology. He studied all that. He put tremendous effort into learning. He said it's grasping for the wind. But here's the thing. He's not saying education is not important. Education is important. We know that to be true. There's nothing wrong with knowledge and pursuing knowledge. But like all the things that he's going to talk about, it isn't fulfilling because he doesn't have that heart and closeness to God. 
And that's why you can see on many uh, campuses uh, and think tank groups and intellectual groups or whatever it may be, that they're very, very intellectual. But you see also on the campuses and stuff and groups like that, that people are empty and unfulfilled. Because that knowledge alone will not satisfy you in life and in your soul. Like anything else. That whatever we do for the Lord is we have the Lord that is in our hearts. Because maybe he's made you that you have great knowledge and, and it can be such a blessing and, and a benefit to others. And, and it's a blessing to you. But whether you say I'm a very intelligent person or not, or whether I work hard and labor, or whatever I do in, in, in my life, that it is the Lord that is to be the Lord of all of our lives. Listen, I've said this before, but I'm going to close with this. When we have Jesus as our Lord, it isn't that Jesus is just added to our life or just a part of our lives. He is what? He is our life. He is our life, and Lord, over everything. Over our families, over our labor, our minds, whatever it is that we enjoy, even our hobbies. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having hobbies. We love to do things, don't we? But is he still the Lord? And you will enjoy things looking at the sun, looking at the day, looking at your labor, the things that you learn in school are going to be so much better and brighter and it's going to be a blessing because, Lord, you are Lord of my life and you are truly my satisfaction. And those things can bring temporary satisfaction and fulfillment. They're just the extra blessings, Lord. But it is you that I long for, your word to grow in, and, Lord, to just look to you because I don't just labor under the sun. I labor for the sun, for you. You are Lord of my life. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this first chapter and all the things that are here. And, and just a lesson right off the bat that a, a life apart from you does bring emptiness and unfulfillment because, Lord, we were created for your good pleasures. You created us to know you to walk with you, to be yielded to you in everything, to love you with all of our hearts, soul, and mind. And Lord, to be a blessing to others, to know that our labor for you and walking with you is not in vain. And so, Father, I do pray tonight for us that we would take these things away with us and be encouraged and blessed, that we can learn from Solomon and will continue to the word of God given to us for our admonition. But I also want to pray if there's anybody here tonight that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're listening on live stream or in this building or going to listen to this message on the radio at a later time. But if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that he is the one that will make you a new creation. He will forgive you of your sins because he went to the cross and died for you. He died on that cross because all of us have sinned. He was put into a grave and he rose again and he proved that he's the son of God. He proved 
that he conquered sin and death. No one else did that for you. Only Jesus. And he says, come to me, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, recognizing that I am a sinner, I have sinned, and I need forgiveness. And you pray right where you are, in sincerity of heart, giving your life to him. And he promises that he will make you new and forgive you of your sins. Will you do that? He is your salvation. There is none other. And you come in faith. That's what brings salvation. Faith is trusting in him, looking to him, believing on him. You say, Jesus, I come to you, and I recognize that my heart is empty, that I have sinned, and I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. You died for me because you loved me. You proved that you're the Son of God by rising from the grave. And you're alive knocking on the door of my heart. And I now give my life to you. I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And that you would, Lord, help me to know you and walk with you. Thank you for forgiving me and for this new beginning. Lord, help me to learn of you every day because I was created for your good pleasures. And I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And as we close, if anybody's here that made a decision, I'm going to stay here just to pray with anybody that needs prayer. If you made a decision, let me know. Or if you just need prayer, maybe there's an emptiness or you just want to ask the Lord uh, just once again to just um, be really the one that is the priority of your life. Whatever your needs are, we're here to minister to you. But Lord, I pray all of us would go home now just blessed and excited because we have you. And you've made all things new in our lives and that our labor is not in vain and that we have closeness with you as we just, Lord, walk with you day by day. So bless your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand?